The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com. Empire. Kate Courtney is used to flying on her bike. These days, she'll give you a virtual tour of your head. So my first concussion happened at my first World Championships when I was 17, and I experienced symptoms for months. I actually returned home and went back to school, and it wasn't until uh, my math teacher called my parents saying, ooh, seems like something's really wrong here. The Olympian is working on a project to help us all understand concussions and head injuries better. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Kate Courtney is one of the elite cyclists in the world and would have been competing in Japan this summer wearing the red, white, and blue, but a pandemic put off the Olympic Games. The good news for her is she's young and healthy, And on that last note, she's hoping to help others stay that way. Let's welcome in our guest, Kate Courtney, who is one of the best mountain biking champs in the entire world. She, along with the U.S. Olympic and the Paralympic Committee, have come together with the nonprofit TeachAge to launch a crash course which is about concussions called brain fly through which we'll explore the complexities and fragility of the human brain in HD and VR. Hi, Kate. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Doing well. Doing well. How is, I, I can't start any conversation without asking. Um, we're all in lockdown. Everyone's situation is a little bit different, I guess, depending on where you are. How's life in a pandemic? Definitely been a little different. I typically spend my summers racing a lot in Europe uh, and would have been hopefully at the Olympics in Tokyo um, right now. So it's, it's definitely not how I envisioned this summer, but it's actually been full of a lot of, you know, surprise gifts, as I'm sure everyone's has been, including lots of great training. Things are looking up. Uh, where are you training? How are you, how are you keeping up with your training? I'm actually really fortunate with cycling that, you know, it is outdoors. Uh, trails were closed for a couple weeks there, but primarily it's been open and, um, you know, we carry masks with us, but typically can can really avoid other people and, and get my training in on the road and on the trails uh, safely. So I've been able to, you know, keep going with that. Of course, we're missing out on the racing, but hopefully we'll get a little bit by the end of the summer. And as for the Olympics, I'm sure that is a massive disappointment. Um, how did you kind of compartmentalize the idea that you weren't going to have this opportunity to take part in it this year? definitely a bit of a a mental transition I think at first the uncertainty was quite difficult Um, as athletes you know we want to be as prepared as possible if we do get to race Uh, but I think you know in the weeks that that decision was unfolding it became really clear that you know this was a really unprecedented time and that we wouldn't have been able to have a fair Olympics uh, first and foremost and, and a safe one as well so it really was the right decision and I think that we're all really hopeful as athletes um, that we will get to have 
that Olympics, you know, safe and fair and, you know, embodying all the things that we love about that pinnacle of the sport next year. Um, have the conversation started between the athletes, the committee, do you guys have any sense of whether you feel like this is going to happen next year or are we just too far out? At the moment, it's set to happen in July of 2021. So, uh, you know, same timing as this year, just moved out a year. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that we'll be able to find a way to make it happen. I think we're all adapting really well to this time and, and learning, you know, what we can and can't do to host events safely. Of course, you know, safety comes first. And, yeah. uh, and we want to make sure that that event is one that is really positive and that provides an equal playing field and a safe one for athletes and for all the people that um, are there to support them. So, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to find a way to do it next year, even if that means with no spectators. But I think we're all also, you know, aware that that decision is going to depend on how things unfold in the next few months. Uh, let's get into the brain fly through, which um, you worked with from the neurological S simulation and virtual reality center at Stanford University. Um, obviously, you have some experience with concussions. Uh, could you kind of share as much as you as you're comfortable with what your experience was like with that injury? Yeah, so I had two concussions and they were very different. Um, and that's part of why I was so excited to get involved with TJ's and the crash course program is because education made a huge difference between my response to the first concussion and my response to the second. Um, so my first concussion happened at my first world championships when I was 17 and I experienced symptoms for months. I actually returned home and went back to school and it wasn't until uh, my math teacher called my parents saying, oh, seems like something's really wrong here, um, that we even knew I had a concussion. So it, it took a long time to resolve and was something that was, you know, quite frightening and I didn't understand well. Um, but things really changed between then and, uh, you know, just three years ago when I had my second bad concussion um, at a World Cup in France. And this time I had been, you know, exposed to a lot more knowledge about concussions and about the recovery. Um, and I took it really seriously. So got the concussion. I, I ended up coming home and spent five days completely in a dark room, no screen time, um, really focused on that healing process. And I was completely symptom free in five days, hmm. back on the bike in seven and back on the World Cup circuit uh, later that month. So I think it was a real turning point for me and how taking this seriously can actually really impact outcomes um, and how education can make this kind of scary and, and difficult to understand um, injury more visible, more understandable, and um, more easily addressed, especially in young athletes. So how did you get involved with this particular project? So I was an undergrad at Stanford and I took um, Pia Sorkar's class. So she was the founder of TJ's, um, and they use this kind of evidence-based approach to address HIV education. And uh, after our big project, one of my friends and I went up to her and said, hey, we think this would work really well in sports as well. Um, and she told us they, they actually had already been working on this concussion program uh, behind the scenes a little bit, and that, you know, they were looking for interns and, and people to help out with it. So I actually 
was able to work on the project for credit uh, my senior year um, and have continued to be involved as I graduated and went on to become a professional athlete. All right. So when I see it, um, what will I learn? What, what was the purpose? What did you guys end up figuring out through this? I think there's a lot of uh, fear around concussions. When you have a broken arm, when you have, you know, an orthopedic injury, which are very common in sports, you have this prognosis. You know, okay, if I do this, it's going to take this long. And it's not as scary and unknown. Um, Whereas I think with concussions, people have a really hard time understanding them, partially because you can't see it and you can't really see when it fully heals. And um, the symptoms are kind of difficult to address or identify. So I think that this really kind of reveals what's going on. Um, and I think it takes a lot of the fear away. And I think we'll give people much more hope, much more knowledge, and um, a lot more tools to combat, you know, the, the long-term lasting impacts of concussions when they're not addressed appropriately. Um, a couple of other things you'll learn. One is, you know, the real value of that recovery process. So for me, treating a concussion meant, honestly, a really difficult five days of pretty much allowing my brain to rest, which is a really difficult thing to do. Um, But if you know that it works and you trust that and you understand how your brain is healing, um, it's a really great thing that we have. We we can recover. We can, um, you know, heal our brains. Our brains can heal themselves. And so I think that's one really hopeful thing. Um, and then, of course, we have the brain fly through. So you'll actually get to see what's going on in the brain. And I think um, that's really helpful for me, at least, to understand what this injury looks like and what uh, healing from it looks like. I, I appreciate the I shouldn't be scared, but your first story was how you got a concussion and it lasted months. And, of course, in the news, when you hear about concussions, it sounds like there are some long-term things that can occur. And most notably, you've heard about football players and others that are in major contact sports where the outcomes are almost disastrous. So how do you, how do you go about kind of alleviating the fear behind something that, that does feel like it has long-term ramifications attached to it? Absolutely. I think that's something that makes concussions really scary. Um, for me, when I, you know, I, I told the story of my two different concussions and the first one, part of why I had so many symptoms for so long is that we weren't really addressing the root cause of it. And I I wasn't able to, you know, kind of follow the protocol and give my brain that rest, uh, simply because we didn't know that's what I needed to do. Um, and instead I was going to school. I was, looking at my phone, listening to music, watching movies, and all of those things really stimulated my brain and uh, caused my symptoms to get worse and worse. And I think that a lot of people um, are afraid of concussions, are afraid of these long-term symptoms, they're afraid of long-term impact, and so they kind of ignore them uh, or don't report them, they don't tell their coach, they don't tell their teacher, and they don't get that treatment. It's like putting a cast on your wrist. Um, and I think hopefully, you know, not all concussions will respond to that. And, you know, each one is an individual injury and, and there's a lot more variation in concussions than something like a broken wrist. But I think that the more people that understand how to treat it um, and are confident in 
reporting and, and getting treatment for this, the less long-term impact there actually is from having a concussion. So is the goal here to make people less scared of athletics? Is it to help understand when an injury happens, what best protocols there are? What what for you was the goal that you wanted to get across to people? For me, I think um, education and openness to addressing this problem can go a long way in terms of the outcomes that we have. Um, I think, you know, for me, when I had that first concussion, it was really scary. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what the outcomes were going to be. And between then and my second concussion, I learned so much about that injury. And I also connected with, uh, you know, a lot of other athletes who'd experienced it and recovered. And so when I had my second concussion, I was really motivated to do what I needed to do to heal and to heal quickly. Um, and I think, you know, having that hope, having that knowledge and awareness and having these tools um, to address concussions will hopefully, you know, spare a lot of athletes the uh, long, drawn-out recovery process that is often incomplete. The first segment of the Concussion Education Series is called Brain Fly-Through, which will explore the complexities and the fragility of the human brain in HD and VR. And the person you're taking the fly-through with is U.S. Olympian Kate Courtney. Thank you so much for joining us, Kate. It was a pleasure having you, and I hope I get to see you compete in the Olympics next summer. Thank you so much. I, I really hope so. On the next Future Sport Podcast. I just saw all this change in the market. I saw this change both on and off the field of play. Um, and at a global level, through my work with the IOC and, and all the international federations and athletes that I represented, um, and so I just, you know, we need to do, we need to be better. Um, this industry has to uh, really uh, embrace innovation and change, which is really hard to do. Let's stay on the Olympic theme with one of the greatest hockey players in American history, Angela Ruggiero, who joins us to discuss her past and the purpose behind the company she founded, the Sports Innovation Lab. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com.